You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little Left Jab Productions present Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarn. The Schmada Kid. Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Our first show for 2015, and I'm Dave Zarn. Joined, as always, by a man who, for religious reasons, will never call pass interference on anybody at all times, Dan Baker. D.B., starting off the New Year's on the right foot, play it hard, play it real, play it all the way. Am I right or am I wrong? You have no idea what I'm talking about. Who pays the bills? Who pays the bills? I I have no (laughs) idea what I'm talking about, but that's why I'm joined by the coach, Kevin Nutt. How you doing, coach? I resume that remark. Dave, I got to start off the new year. Happy new year to you and the guys. Happy new year. I see for Christmas, you got one of uh, Bill Cosby's old sweaters. (laughs) Disinfect that. My good buddy, one of my good friends, I hadn't seen in a while, had lunch with him over the the holidays, and he did the Marine Corps Marathon, 26-2, at age 58, and he finished it. So I, wow. I told him I'm just giving props on the show, and because you know, guys like you, you don't even finish dinner. So yeah. he finished at 26 too. So I just want to say, Mike, great work, buddy. First of all, <laughs> congratulations anybody who could run a marathon. I don't care if you do it in three hours or 30 hours. You will always get respect for me. Dig it. Second of all, that joke is such a fail. You say you don't even eat dinner. It's like, yeah, I'm That's trying to get in shape. Dinner. It's a compliment, and, and it's in the same sort of <laughs> no. umbrella category as being able to run a marathon. It's about fitness and wellness. Uh-huh. You see, so you kind I crossed of, myself up, didn't I? Yeah, a little bit, but that's okay, <laughs> because this show is also about remedial comedic training, wow. and that's why we're here. And joined by another man who is a comic remedial master, Mark Barry. How you doing, me, Mark? I mean, I got, I got the remedial part down. I do also finish dinner. So if we're, if we're throwing things out, like accomplishments and things, I'll, I'll get some dinner. You'll finished. finish some dinner. I'll finish yours, too, if you want. <laughs> Coming out, please. Yo, we got a hell of a show this week. We got two guests I'm really happy to have. One is 
the funniest stand-up comic working, Hari Kondabalu. Uh, I mean, we've had him on the show before. Mm-hmm. He's I don't know how, like, ha-ha the interview is going to be because I actually want to talk to him about, uh, because he talks so much about, about racism and about life, I want to talk to him about the, the shootings that just happened in France. I want to talk to him about the passing of Stuart Scott, which definitely opened the doors uh, for people of color in the entertainment industry to be, quote-unquote, authentic. And Hari was talking a lot about that, and I want to talk to Hari about that. We're also going to talk to David Sirota, investigative reporter, about Jerry Jones and Chris Christie, the nexus. But first, we're going to come back after this, and we're going to talk some Jameis Winston. We'll be back in just a moment. (laughs) Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. We are back on Edge of Sports yes. Radio, joined by the coach, Kevin Dodd. How you doing, coach? My man. Happy and, New Year. Oh, happy New Year to you. And me, Mark. How you doing, me, Mark? Feeling fine. Feeling fine. So <laughs> many questions for 2015. And I, I'll tell you right now, if 2015 gives us even 50% of what 2014 gave us in terms of the intersection of sports and politics, I will be a happy, happy fellow. 2014, to me, it turned all the rules upside down like think about some of the most sacrosanct rules in the authoritarian Uh top-down sports (laughs) world that Uh we have been enduring for the last hundred years think about some of the rules owners untouchable superstar athletes you keep your mouth shut violence against women swept under the carpet those have been like three of the pillars of u.s men's sports since the 1890s. Mm. Now think about 2014 and some of the biggest stories. Owners untouchable, Donald Sterling, gone. Mm. Atlanta Hawks owners just announced they're selling the franchise, all because they were exposed as racist. Violence against women, obviously. The National Football League fumbling over itself, trying to explain years of cover-ups. And superstar athletes being quiet. My goodness, it would have been a shocker if LeBron James hadn't worn a shirt mm. that said, I can't breathe. Like, it would have actually have been a shock if Kobe Bryant hadn't lent his support. We've crossed a Rubicon on a lot of very, very big issues in 2014. How long will it last? Who knows? What will 2015 bring? Who knows? Mm. But I think we should talk a little bit about what we want to see for 2014. But don't get greedy. 2014 (laughs) was rich. It was rich in sports and politics goodness. And I really want to make sure we're not too greedy about it. But one of the questions, which is right off Jump Street, which I want to throw to Mark right here, is about Jameis Winston. Mm -mm. Because Jameis Winston just announced that he's coming out for the NFL draft. And I really cannot stand the dialectics around Jameis Winston. Because what it comes down to is what the, all the announcers are saying is this. The narrative, if you will, around Jameis Winston is he is an incredible on-field leader. He makes every throw. He makes his team better, a true leader. But he has off-the-court issues, off-the-field issues. As Kirk Herbstreet said, he's naive about what happens to him off the field. He gets in trouble because he's naive. I have problems with both of these, Mark, because on the one hand, mm-hmm. when you say he's naive, when Kirk Herbstreet says that over and over and over again, he's naive, that's code for the woman who accused him of rape is lying and he got trapped by somebody. That's code for that. 
See, I mean, so that to me speaks to the worst narratives of sports. This idea that there are all these women out there uh, looking to cry false accusations of rape, even though we know statistically that that effectively almost never ever happens. And also, what does Kirk Herbstreet know about what took place? And passing that kind of judgment is disgusting. And the second thing, this idea that he's brilliant on the field, 19 interceptions playing in the ACC. I mean, I have doubts on that level, too. So, Mark, as we look to 2015, one of the questions, I think, without without a doubt, whether it's through the combine, through the draft, and then in minicamp, is going to be what kind of pro Jameis Winston is going to be. That's going to light up the Twitters. And so I ask you from jump, uh, on this, what is your prediction for 2015 for Jameis Winston? First, what is your prediction, and then what do you think the reality is going to be? I think Jameis Winston is really interesting. I think that he can very much be the test case to see what – I guess what professional sports learned from 2014 and what it wants to to use because at this point going through the through the draft process this is the marketing and the the valuation process of Jameis Winston they're going to decide whether the whether all of the off-field things all of the off-field concerns that were very real and you we've talked about all of them on the on the show here whether they devalue him as a commodity in terms of a, a quarterback for a pro system because based on sheer based on sheer athletic gifts he should be the number 1 pick Mm-hmm. Probably, but you're you're absolutely right. Looking back at what he did in this previous season, you don't throw 19 interceptions in the ACC without that throwing up huge red flags. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone talks about the the massive fourth quarter comebacks that came in through Florida State. What you don't talk about is how Winston threw them into those into those. Uh, Right, it's not like place. he was a relief pitcher coming in. No, and no, no. He's shutting like, out the other team he for threw six all those interceptions, and then they, he had to come from behind with a massively superior, talented team than the, than the teams that they came back against. I hope. Uh, I hope this. This is more personal here. Lovey Smith. I have an affinity towards. I hope that he does. To be look clear, Lovey Smith, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yes. coach. Tampa Bay has the number one pick in the 2015 draft. Yes. And obviously, for those of you out there who are geographically disinclined, Tampa Bay is in the same state as Florida. Good, good, good to know. Good well, to know. And, letting folks I could very much see so him. So what's your decide. prediction? I, I think he looks at this and decides that Winston is the face that he wants, that, that he wants to rebuild the Buccaneers around. And I hope that doesn't happen. Wow. All right, so that's <laughs> one round. Right now, Coach, <laughs> 2000, feel free, Coach, if you want to sound off on Famous Jameis, go right ahead. But otherwise, if you got anything else for 2015. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think Jameis is going to be fine. I, I, I like his heart. I like his uh, skill set. Okay, he did some. Yeah, I'm not talking about the incident with the young lady. That I'm, I can't speak to that at all. But the um, the uh, crab legs and things of that nature. Okay, and actually, that speaks to paying athletes, which is one of the things in 2015 that um, I want to discuss, discuss here. I was, you know, I was thinking about things in 2015 that I like to see. One, I would say I would like to see Kentucky and John Calipari lose, but not only lose in the NCAA tournament, lose as a lose to a 16 seed. That's one. Wow. <laughs> but that's not going to happen. I also want to see two phony, dis, disingenuous, incompetent, overpaid con artists lose their job. Mark Emmert, NCAA president, mm-hmm. and Roger Goodell. Wow. I'd like to see both of them get gone. Um, and I also, while we're there, I would like to see Congress strip both. Of their nonprofit status, mm. okay. Um, I would, I would. Number two, I would like to see the Washington football team name get gone. Mm. Okay, you're, you're that's there got now to firmly. Happen. It's got to happen. Got to go. Got to go. But number one that I want to see happen in 2015, Dave, I want to see um, 
the NCAA, especially after watching what's gone down with this Oklahoma with the uh, Oregon game and how this Final Four has really been a boon to everybody that has their hand off and, and, and looking at their holding their wallets, that the players get paid. Uh, the revenue uh, uh, generating players, football and basketball, and even women's play, uh, 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 basketball players, get paid. Um, I also would like to see scholarships be five years, not even four years. Now They're one-year scholarships mm-hmm. right now. I want them to be five years because the travel, they mm-hmm. bastardize all these conferences. And it mm-hmm. doesn't hurt so much in football, but right now, some of the conferences, like West Virginia has to go to Texas to play several times in basketball. That's home and away and all the other sports that do it. Uh, the ACC is from Syracuse to Miami. Uh, the, big, um, the Mountain West is from Idaho to Hawaii. This is crazy travel. So I want to see these athletes get paid and have five-year guaranteed scholarships. Well, what's interesting, Coach, is that you're already seeing – uh, like the big five schools, for example, in a year will start offering significant, not significant stipends, but certainly better than anybody a few years ago. I think it's mm-hmm. 5000 a semester, I think is what they're going to offer mm-hmm. scholarship athletes at the big five schools. Um, and there are also uh, a couple of schools have already started saying that they're going to offer scholarship guarantees and not have it be one and done like at the behest of the coach. A couple of schools have already pushed that through. Uh, But the thing is that worries me is that these kinds of makeshift reforms, I mean, if they feel like if they can buy off the big five conferences – then they'll be good for all of college sports. And that actually scares me is that there people like Mark Emmert and Roger Goodell, I mean, they're they're trying to save the golden goose right now, even mm-hmm. the golden goose, even though he spews a toxic bile that singes <laughs> everything it touches. So that that, that bothers me. I'll tell you my wish for two thousand fifteen, and this is this is kinda heavy, but it's real. I've been so impressed with the athletes who stepped up to be part of the Black Lives Matter movement. It's caused mm-hmm. courage and it's amazing. You have not seen anything at the pro level since the the killing of the two New York City police officers. It's definitely had a chilling effect on athletes. I hope that doesn't continue because to do that is to accept the narrative that a, a mentally ill person who had shot his girlfriend previous day and traveled numerous states and then shot these police officers as if he somehow is represents that movement, which yep. is not true. Yep. And it's outrageous for yep. when people suggest that somehow that is an outgrowth of that movement, like yes. the New York City Police Union Thank you. Um, is saying and the Benevolent Association is saying. So um, I hope athletes still speak out about it because police violence isn't going anywhere and it needs to be addressed. It needs to be confronted. And the horror of the assassination of those two police officers had nothing to do uh, with that movement. So they should stand with it as proudly today as they did a month ago. And so that's my wish for 2015. Mm-hmm. But I'm so grateful for what 2014 has given. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I'll spend 2015 assessing 2014 <laughs> if it comes to it. But hey, this is Edge of Sports. That was great, <laughs> fellas. We'll be back right after this with Hari Kondabalu. One, one, two, Don't one, two, move. Three, Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We are back here in Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach, Kevin Nutt. How you doing, coach? Mommy. And me, Mark. How you doing, me, Mark? Doing great. Man, I'm so excited for our next guest. He is a stand-up comic. Uh, he's been on television more times than any one of us can count, although we are all very poor at math. Uh, he was on the writing staff for one of my all-time favorite shows, the FX comedy series Totally Biased with Kamau Bell. Uh, and he was also a correspondent on that show. And his first stand-up comedy album came out in 2014. It's bloody brilliant, and it's called Waiting for 2042. His name is Hari Kondabalu. Hari, how you doing, sir? I'm good, Dave. How are you? I'm doing well, my man. You feeling good? 
I'm feeling all right. Uh, you know, 2015 kind of just picked up where 2014 left off, which is terrible. Yeah, uh, which is so. awful. Actually, when the horrific news did come out of Paris of the 12 people killed uh, at the, the the Charlie Hebdo magazine, my, my first thought was actually about you because I think we both see these issues as being far more complicated than just, you know, we're in a clash of civilizations and we're, we're right. going to f- have to fight the Islamo-fascists against the, right. the, the heroes of satire um, and, and all of that stuff. And it's like we're horrified by the deaths. I'm very fearful about the kind of Islamophobic backlash, and I'm also very fearful about the absence from the conversation about it. Things like Abu Ghraib, the war in Iraq, Afghanistan, as if... You know, the only thing people are responding to is cartoons. But I know you're also a right. comic and you take the issue of satire very seriously. And I just I just wanted to ask you, what what are your how do you get your head around what took place? What are your thoughts? Um, there's so much. <laughs> there's just so much. I mean, obviously, that it's un, it feels kind of ridiculous to state the obvious. But like, but I think it, it actually is necessary. Like. Uh, obviously what happened is incredibly tragic and that's the word tragic doesn't really quite even cut it. It's just so upsetting and disturbing just on the, on the human level. And as someone who tries to make people laugh, obviously the idea that, you know, making a point and trying to make people laugh and, you know, their style wasn't necessarily the kind of comedy I necessarily appreciate, but still like, of course they should put it out there. Mm-hmm. And of course, if there's going to be outrage, let there be outrage, because that's outrage and, and responses uh, to things you don't like is part of free speech as well. But what happened is just like out of the realm of you just don't you can't imagine that happening. You just you, you can't. And then at the same time, you step back and I think people are making it about the cartoons and, the, and as if that's all it was. And France has like been, you know, in terms of Islamophobia and and uh, anti-immigrant kind of stuff, France is kind of, there's been an issue there for a while. This isn't like these cartoons were drawn and some, you know, people lost their minds. This was a, this has been kind of a gradual thing with, with, uh, you know, what's been happening in France, whether it's uh, banning uh, head veils, whether, you know, you know, mm-hmm. big part of France is the pr- preservation of language and culture. That's hard to do in a globalizing society, in a globalizing world. And, there isn't an acceptance of that culturally in France. It seems like the policies have been put in place to, to uh, you know, to curb that, as if you can curb that, as if you can curb globalization. So, um, you know, I think this is not just a response to cartoons. It's so much bigger than that. So, I mean, obviously it's horrifying, but it, it's also like I'm thinking about, like, you know, how did this happen? Right. And, and part of it isn't logic either. Like, I think... It, it, you know, or it's not just a straightforward, like linear, like this happened and this happened and this happened. You know, this is far more complicated than that. And again, it, I think when when terrorism happens, I think that's obviously horrific. But I think what's scarier to me is the the break in society that happens, or the further break in society. Do we turn? on our own. And in this day, you know, in our own means Muslims living in France, right? Mm-hmm. Are they going to get turned on by people they've been living with their, 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 their fellow, you know, you know, people in their community. And I don't just mean Muslims. I mean, other French people. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which that's, is... that's here. Like how, how deep is this crack now because of what happened? 
Yeah, which is apparently one of the aims of the shooters. One of the things that's being revealed is that they thought this this would polarize, and that this would oh, be the course. sort of thing that would force people to choose sides. And it, it brings me to and and both sides have a role in making sure that that's not what happens. I, I keep thinking today. My thoughts are with my friend Arsalan Iftikhar. I just wanted to, wanted to get your thoughts on this and whether you ever deal with with things of this nature. Arsalan is is a brilliant guy. He's a columnist. He's a speaker. He wrote an amazing book called Islamic Pacifism. For goodness sakes, I want to repeat that the book was called Islamic Pacifism. And he was on Don Lemon's <laughs> show last night. And Don Lemon asked him if he supported ISIS. And I mean, leaving Don Lemon aside for a second. I mean, asking him if he supports ISIS. I was trying to think. It's like it's like asking Mandela if he supported apartheid. I mean, it's like part of it's ignorant and part of it's offensive. And I mean, do, do you ever get? Well, here's the thing: if if, if that happens, because I saw the clip, you know, right before the show, and just because I seen it on Facebook getting posted, I'm like, oh, it couldn't be that bad. It's even worse in part because if Don Lemon starts with that question, right? In some ways, it's almost better because it's it's kind of saying. This is obviously a ridiculous question, but this is a question people will have in their mm-hmm. minds, you know, connect to the extreme. He had a, a, they had a thoughtful back and forth for a good two and a half minutes before he asked that question, as if he wasn't paying attention to anything he was saying. Jeez. Like, this... it was irrelevant. That question was going to come. He needed, he wanted the question to see how, we, how Arsene would respond. It's like, it's like this constant test of will you lose your temper? It, like what you know, what Raisa Hassan dealt with you know last earlier uh, or uh, sometime last year, uh, but I believe that was a Fox News thing. But like right. the same kind of like you're you're forced to hold a certain kind of you have to maintain yourself. Mm. If you lose your temper, that feeds right into what they want. It's almost like asking someone who was sexually assaulted, why didn't they just bite the penis of the person? Oh wait, Don right. Lemon did yeah. that who, too. Who did, he did do that. <laughs> he did. Why is he employed? He, I mean, it's amazing. (laughs) Like, if Fox News didn't exist, it would all be about CNN being terrible. Like, honestly, Fox News gives them such a cover because they're awful. Like, that's just horrendous news reporting. I mean, but if if you took away their airport viewers, I wonder what the ratings would be. <laughs> I mean, their airport yeah. viewership is unparalleled. You wonder if they even have right. that on business cards, CNN, where people in airports get the news. Um, right. <laughs> I, I, I did want to, want to ask you this because I think you're, you're a very unique comic. People who aren't familiar with your work need to find you. The album, uh, Waiting for 2042, is bloody brilliant. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, one thing is there's all this humor out there and Bill Maher is, is people, but it's not just Bill Maher, but it's like it's kicking down. It's the idea of how do we make fun of people who actually are the most vulnerable in society? And you take this entirely different approach to it of trying to mine laughter in kicking up. What are the challenges of doing that? Do you feel like it hurts you in terms of trying to find an audience or do you feel like you're speaking to people who are like, thank God someone is doing this? I, I think it, one of the challenges is, is when you kick up most of your audience, you know, I, I li- I'm a, you know, person of color who talks about these things in mostly white spaces. So kicking up sometimes means talking about white people. And most of my audience is just out of necessity of traveling around the country are going to be white. So that right there, like unless you have people, even people who see themselves as liberal-minded, right, when confronted with race stuff, they might even be cool with it if I talk about it for five or ten minutes. If I'm talking about 
racism and particularly white privilege for like 20 minutes, that's a lot. <laughs> they start <laughs> you know doing I mean? the Rodney Dangerfield and pulling on the collar after a while. I just let them walk out. <laughs> it's not even, at this point, it's not even, I can't even, I'm just getting, I get used. It's not a, like Mooney, Paul Mooney gets half the, like almost all the white people to walk. Like I'm not there, <laughs> which I'm fine with. But I'll get, you know, every show when it's not like a show, you know, when it's when I'm just the comedian who happens to be there, which happens, like, of course, people will leave because this is not what they expect. This is not what they want. I think it's more frustrating when it's college students, to be honest, because I'm like, you you can't leave. You're college students. Right. You're supposed <laughs> to try to take it in there. You feel, ah, I'm just going to go back and, and do something that's easier. It's like you're in school. You're supposed to be. Being challenged is okay. What's the point of getting a speaker if it's everything you already know? And so. also, you're going to be in your late 40s when 2042 rolls around. You might right. as well get used to confronting this stuff. This is your life. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm giving people head starts. These are stock tips for the future. Dave. <laughs> These are societal stock tips, okay, in terms of kicking upward. That is another thing with what happened yesterday. I think if you look at a lot of those cartoons that were being drawn, I don't know if that's really kicking upward. No. And I think, of course, there is the, the, the right. There's never a question of the right to do whatever you want in terms of language and, and in terms of imagery and comedy. But it, it is a sense of, like, this isn't a great example of kicking upward. And even when you have people uh, who tragically lost their lives, editors who had even made statements saying that, like, you know, they don't really much care for what Muslims think, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of, of this. I mean, I don't think... I, of course, they have every right to do it, and if that's their point of view, they should do it. That's how, that's how this works. But at the same time, to me, there is something frustrating about like, yeah. But when you think of society as a whole and and an increasingly diverse society, doesn't that mean something? Isn't there some mm-hmm. thought towards a larger society? And Isn't there a responsibility involved? And not to say that justifies anything, but that's right. a thought when I make what I make. That's what I think about, too. And and once again, not that this justifies anything, but to see an article in a liberal magazine like The New Yorker by George Packer that goes through everything that happened in France and goes through the rise of, um, as he puts it, Islamic terrorism and goes through instance after instance after instance. He cataloged them and then not one point says the words Afghanistan, Iraq, Abu Ghraib. I mean, it makes it right. seem like the West is this this helpless thing that's just getting pummeled and no sense that right. there's a broader context that's fueling right. the anger that's there. And that's very frustrating, too, especially when it's in organs where you think, OK, this is actually about winning liberals to war. We remember with sadness, but also with great affection, the passing of Stuart Scott of ESPN. And you put out a tweet that. I thought it was great, Hari, honestly, because it made me think of you, and I appreciate your work so much. But you said Stuart Scott is proof that it's always best to be yourself. And that that is the Stuart Scott legacy, that he was like, this is going to be me, and I'll succeed or fail based on being myself. And he did succeed. Did you take – was I right to read into that? Do you take personal inspiration from that? It's funny, actually. It's – I don't think I – I don't think I realized if he made any impact until he was gone. And then all of a sudden, it, it's funny, it, it hit me as soon as they say he, he was gone. I think this was a lot of people. He was such a presence, and he added such color to the sports cast, and he changed everything. And as a huge sports fan, I don't think I even appreciated it until I, it's like, he's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. But he's always been there. And, and then you realize, no, he wasn't always there, and he had to force himself in mm-hmm. and change the way everyone does does this. And it's just very funny. I was thinking a lot about you know, the Craig Kilborn era, 
of Sports Center, and, and you know he brought lots of flavor and, and personality. And I don't really remember people being critical about Craig Kilborn, and it led to him having his own show on CBS and be, you know rising. With Stuart Scott, there was such anger that he would try to change the way things were and speak and be himself. As opposed to Craig Kilborn, which was like, yeah, finally, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. And there's su- that's such a double standard to me how people reacted to those two figures, and. And it does show a lot of like progress if you stick it out. And he, and as much as people certainly like gave him a lot of uh, pressure and wanted him to change, there were a lot of people who definitely were in his corner and knew we he had to ride this out. And he knew he had to ride this out because his way was going to work. And and I mean everything is different now. It's, yeah. it's 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 much more entertaining than just watching clips. And we'll never hear again about Pookie and Ray Ray and right right. Cool as the other side of the pillow. Hey, Hari Kondabalu, you're cool as the other side of the pillow, man. Thank you so much for joining us on Edge of Sports Radio. Absolutely. Thank you, Dave. That was Hari Kondabalu, ladies and gents. The album is waiting till 2042. Amazing stuff. We'll be back right after this. Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. We are back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach, Kevin Nutt. How you doing, coach? All good, all good. Hey, I'm Mark. How you doing, me, Mark? Doing well. Awesome. Hey, our next guest is a crusading journalist for the International Business Times. He has broken story after story after story about the corruption of New Jersey governor and presidential aspirant Chris Christie. Aspirant Chris Christie. We're actually, we're really proud to have him on the show. He's great at his job and the work he's doing right now about the intersection between Chris Christie and Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones is a public service. His name is David Sirota. David, how you doing, sir? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. I uh, just want, want to run over the facts of what you've been uncovering for our audience here. So you're talking a lot about Chris Christie and his, as you put it, bromance with Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones. But there's a lot here that might not be kosher legally. What What's more offensive, perhaps, than that awkward hug in the, in the owner's box from last Sunday? Well, Chris Christie, uh, through being governor of New Jersey, has uh, many official uh, business dealings with the National Football League and Jerry Jones in specific. Uh the state of New Jersey has uh, given, for instance, uh, the the NFL uh, millions and millions of dollars worth of tax subsidies uh, and really um, the public handouts in the lead up to most recently uh, the Super Bowl last year's Super Bowl. Uh, on top of that, the Port Authority, which Christie controls through his appointment power, the Port Authority recently gave a firm part owned by Jerry Jones a big contract to manage the new observatory deck at uh, at the uh, the new uh, world trade center mm. so 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 there's a business relationship between Christie as governor and the head of the state and Jerry Jones as a as a businessman and new jersey's ethics rules say that you if you're a public official you can't accept gifts from people that the state is doing business with which is exactly what uh, Christie did when he accepted tickets and travel and the like down uh, to the to the Cowboys games now Christie is saying uh, I'm allowed to do this because I signed an executive order saying that I can accept gifts 
from so-called personal friends. Uh, but then, of course, his office has admitted that he became personal friends with Jerry Jones uh, after he became governor. I mean, this is not like, you know, they've known each other for 30 years or 20 years. This is he became governor. The state started doing business with uh, with the NFL and with, with Jerry Jones's firm, and they became personal friends, and somehow that makes it okay for then Jerry Jones to uh, give Christie gifts after the state has given uh, him and the NFL a very, very lucrative public deals. Is Chris Christie just like any other corrupt politician, particularly perhaps we could even further narrow it down and say any New Jersey politician, which like Illinois has its own kind of special history of corruption, or is there something particularly toxic about Chris Christie? Well, I think the difference is is that in New Jersey, people forget that New Jersey is is the only state in the country in which there is only one statewide elected state official. Uh, there is no independently elected attorney general. There's no independently elected auditor or treasurer. They're all appointed by Christie. What happens in a state like that uh, is that the governor can, I, I guess it can lead a governor to see the law as a guideline uh, as opposed to an actual law because the governor is the one who effectively controls whether the law will be enforced or not, in this case, the ethics rules. So I think, you know, I can't speculate about what's in Chris Christie's mind. What I can say is that Chris Christie gets to control in large part whether for instance, an ethics law is enforced or not. I mean, there is oversight in, uh, with the U.S. attorney. That's the one, the one office, the federal office that operates in New Jersey that could that could bring some law enforcement here. But I think Chris Christie is basically is basically saying, look, I, if I get to enforce the law, then I don't necessarily have to pay so much attention to the law. Let's take it back to to Jerry Jones here about going to the games, being in the owner's box. Do we know, like, categorically who paid, for example, for the plane ticket to get Christie to the game? Do we know and, yeah, and all yeah, the other do. bells and whistles that went into him actually being there, transportation, food, et cetera? Do we know who, who foot, footed the bill for all this? Yeah, well, what happened was we broke off with the first story in this saying um, the state of New Jersey has uh, business with the NFL. Christie uh, has been given at least access to very, uh, you know, prime, prime seats, and Christie's office refused to comment to us about that. The next day, they were asked by a bunch of other reporters about this, and they admitted that uh, Jerry Jones paid for the travel uh, the, on his private jet and the and the seats. I think they brought his whole family, Christie's whole family, down with him. Uh, and there's been some independent valuations of what that would cost. I mean, you know, those kinds of seats in a luxury box at a at a playoff game is anywhere from fifty to sixty thousand dollars, which is kind of mind blowing unto itself. Yeah, fifty, sixty thousand. Uh, I mean, even like, I have to say, like even that many tickets just to go from New Jersey to Dallas. I can tell you, myself is not exactly a small expenditure. Uh, so, so we, so this is what we're getting at. We're getting at Christie and Jerry Jones. That there's a lot. There are business interests afoot. He's there in the owner's box. He's on national TV. I have never thought of Chris Christie as being a dim bulb. As much as I've thought of him as a bully, as much as I disagree with his politics, as much as I hate his position, particularly on teachers' unions, I've never thought of him as unintelligent. But that seems like a profoundly unintelligent thing to do, especially if you have presidential aspirations. What, what, what is your read on the arrogance of him even being there in that owner's box on national TV? Well, at one level, I, I think it's it's a slip up in, in that the Jack Abramoff scandal, for instance, uh, revolved in part around Jack Abramoff uh, using sports tickets yeah, to basically influ- yeah to influence uh, lawmakers, and and you you'd think that after that uh, politicians would be careful, and and in fact you don't 
see that many politicians uh, cavorting in owners' boxes no. precisely because of the because of what happened with Abramoff. So one sense you could say, you know, Christie's really made a mistake by doing this. But but here's the, the the thing that's disturbing. I think that he is potentially banking on the idea that that nobody will care. That 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 in fact the negative of a couple days of stories that say this is not okay and not acceptable will be mitigated by the fact that he's getting close to a very, very potentially rich source of campaign contributions, uh, that he's getting uh, attention uh, on, on television uh, as a sort of regular guy who's a big NFL fan. Perhaps there's a political calculation that just says, look, the downside is smaller than the potential upside. Mm. Although, even though I can't stand him, a great burn by Scott Walker when he put out a tweet saying, this is the only owner I'll be hugging this weekend, and it was a, <laughs> it was a Green Bay Packers fan pointing out that the Packers are a fan-owned team and leaving out the fact that the idea of fan-owned team goes against everything Scott Walker believes in. So <laughs> that's another story. Um, D- David, you, you were very principled a moment ago when I asked you about what was going through Chris Christie's head, and you said, like, I don't, you said, I don't want to speak about what he might be thinking or what he, who he is personally. This is a political issue. He certainly hasn't been that principled with you. What has it felt like when he actually has gone after you personally in these press conferences for writing these political exposés? Well, I, I mean, I guess in one way, it's it's. It's not surprising. I mean, we have not had to correct a single uh, a single word in any of our stories based on the facts. So uh, they have not been able to. Christie himself has not been able to point to any inaccuracy that we've made. And I think that him resorting to personal attacks on me, I think, uh, is a is an indicator that he doesn't really have much to say to refute the basic facts of what we reported. Whether it's about campaign contributions from from executives at firms who are getting a big New Jersey pension contracts or the Jerry Jones matter. I mean, this is a telltale sign when a politician tries to demonize personally, in personal terms with personal insults, uh, somebody when they're asked about the facts of reporting, what the politician is really saying is, I I don't have an answer to those facts and I want to change the subject. Mm. David, for our listeners who don't know, uh, you had a top-rated political radio show in Denver. You're an astute political thinker, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this. Based on your read of the national political tea leaves, your read of the Republican Party, does Chris Christie have a legitimate shot to be the nominee? Oh, I absolutely think he he does. I mean, I think that there's going to probably be a primary in which you'll have a a Tea Party or libertarianish candidate, or at least presenting themselves as a principled anti-crony capitalist candidate, and you'll have a, a candidate or a set of candidates in the Jeb Bush, Chris Christie mold, who will represent the kind of corporate country club establishment of the of the Republican Party. Uh, and I think that if Jeb Bush uh, flames out, in particular, that Chris Christie will be the uh, I think the the icon of that wing, that corporate wing of the Republican Party. And then the question will be is whether is which wing of the Republican Party uh, will win that primary. Now, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And I do think it will be very interesting to watch candidates like Rand Paul, uh, candidates even like Ted Cruz, who will portray themselves as anti-crony capitalist and who I think will 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 try to hold up Christie as to conservative, principled conservative voters and say, these people speak for corporate power, uh, and we need a more principled conservative uh, who doesn't. And they will try to hold Christie up uh, as that uh, icon of an establishment candidate who they say will say conservatives should vote against. Will it work? I don't know. 
Now, now, but David, part of you answering that question and saying he's a legitimate shot is you're also implicitly saying that you don't think the chickens are going to come home to roost on Christie for all of the corruption reporting you've done between now and the elections. So you think he's invulnerable, even though you're reporting. I mean, it's just like I look at this and I'm like, how does this guy even go out in public, let alone run for president? Well, but I think remember most of the things that we're that we've been reporting on uh, have meant a huge amount of money for Christie and for Christie's political apparatus. That that then, again, the, the calculation may be that the downsides of of the of the stories and the reporting that and the public image of that can be mitigated by the fact that the stories are about huge amounts of money or potential money that could ultimately go to Christie's campaign, and that money in American politics trumps everything. Uh, and I think that's that's the calculation, and it's hard to say whether that's a that's a miscalculation because look, money is really powerful. If you're giving pension deals out to big Wall Street financiers, and and those Wall Street financiers are are basically charging the pension fund a huge amount of fees and hurting the pension fund, and you get some bad stories about that, that may be bad. But those if those Wall Street financiers are dumping huge amounts of money into your campaign for you to air ads and have a field operation, maybe the calculation is that's a, a, a winning formula. Mm. David, sort of last question. Where can people read your writing, people listening to this show? What's the best place? International Business Times. It's ibtimes.com. David, sort of thank you so much for joining us on Sports Radio. It's really our pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dave. Really appreciate it. That was David Sirota, ladies and gents. we got to go to break. We'll be back to wrap up the show. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. We are back here in Edge of Sports mm. Radio, wrapping up the show and feeling good. I would not let us leave without us discussing this coming weekend. I mean, I know, National Football League. I have to tell I'm watching the games this past oh, week, boy. and my daughter comes up to me, and she says, Daddy, do you want Jacob to play football? That's my six-year-old son. And I say, nah, we don't want him to play football. And she said, well, then why do you watch? Mm. And, I said, and I said, well, because um, I – enjoy it and these guys are paid to do it and she said yeah but why don't you want Jacob to play football and I said because I'd be worried about him and I'm his dad and she said well you don't think they have families Ooh. and I'm just and she wow. said she said every person on that screen has a mom and a dad why aren't you thinking about them Uh-oh. and so I said go to your room so um <laughs> so that's, out again yeah that's the only way to respond <laughs> so in, in honor of my amazing questioning challenging daughter Let's do predictions. Mark, first time in history a team that was 8-0 at home is going against a team that was 8-0 on the road. Mm-hmm. Packers, Dallas. I don't do spreads. Winners or losers, who do you like, man? I like Green Bay. I think I think Rodgers is going to come together, and I think this is finally, hopefully, the time that Tony Romo falls apart. Okay, Coach, what about you? I want your daughter to host the show next week. <laughs> yeah, she be a better host. Who do you like, man? <laughs> Rodgers is hurt. I'm, I'm, I give Dallas a puncher's chance. Dallas. Go. Yep. Mm-hmm. Put you down. Put you down. Mm-hmm. Dan? Come Packers. On, you go Packers? Easy. Uh, I was for Dallas until I heard that it's going to be eight degrees, which is basically Palm Beach. (laughs) No, no. If it was colder, I would have said no. So I'm going to go Green Bay. That's the only game. I Is there any other game we should care about? One more game I want to do before we go to break, because there's only one other game I actually give a crap about this weekend, and that is the Ravens against the Patriots. Got too many Ravens fans in my family, and I got too much hate for the Patriots in my heart. Who do you like, straight up? <laughs> it's the Patriots. I don't think the Ravens are any good. I don't I, I don't know how they win. Brady and company. Brady and company. Best defense the Patriots have had when they play the Ravens in the playoffs, don't, don't and a healthy ground. Dan about the Patriots. Yep. You're all <laughs> wrong. Joe Flacco is a demigod in the playoffs. 
playoffs. If you calculated pass interference calls, he'd have 5,000 yards every year. I like the Ravens, unafraid of Belichick, unafraid of Brady. And my hot take is that by next year, Brady will be starting for the St. Louis Rams, and they'll move to Los Angeles. Hey, for all the folks here, if the Patriots lose, I will lay it out next week. Lay it out! We are out of here. Peace! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.